Welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture in order. And when we've watched all the movies in any given year, we'll let you know if the Oscar went to the right movie. This week, we have watched The Love Parade, which was nominated for the 1929 to 1930 Oscars. Yep. And is a musical. Yeah, and it has ruined our record of liking all musicals. Oh, finally we're going to disagree on something. Oh, Susan, I... I thought it was totally charming. I don't... There there were times that it was. I liked... The jokes were funny in this film, which is a thing I'm not sure I could even say about the Broadway melody, which I liked significantly more than this film. No, the jokes in in the Broadway melody are sad. (laughs) Yeah, and the jokes in this movie are funny, which is weird because I didn't know Hollywood in 1929 knew how to make funny jokes, because they had (laughs) not made any yet. Maybe this was maybe this was the innovation of this movie. Yes, jokes that are funny. Here is what I will say for this movie. I will say that the jokes are funny. I will say that the musical numbers are actually pretty good. I will say that Jeanette McDonald is hot as shit. Other than that... I'll agree with that. (laughs) Other than that, though, I fucking hate this movie. Because in a, like, era where my main complaint about every movie is, who is this whiny fuck and why does the movie keep rewarding him just because he's the protagonist? This movie has the whiniest fuck of a protagonist, and he's given literally a kingship for being such a whiny shit. He's not king. He's prince consort. He's made king at the end of the movie. Well, yeah, for being a... But was he really whiny? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the back third of the movie is him whining about being stuck being prince consort. With his super hot queen wife. I See, I totally felt like he was just a cipher. And that the movie was there for Jeanette McDonald to be adorable. She is great. She really pulls off a lot of scenes that should not be pull-offable in this film. But, like, the moral of this movie is just, like... From the moment you see Alfred Renard, he is a shit. Like, literally, he is introduced sleeping with a woman who is married. He's, like, a cad is fine. Like, for a while, I didn't think I would really care that much. Because, like, for a while, I thought, like, this is the situation in which you do marry a cad. She has all the power in the relationship. And she just kind of wants that D. And, like, that's fine. That's great, actually. But then in the back third of the movie, it becomes about actually empathizing with him for, like, being so sad that he doesn't actually have the power to be king. Just because there's no reason for him to be fucking king except he's a man. And then at the end, she just goes like, well, okay, you can be king then. Because it is bad that I am in charge. You should be in charge. End of film. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that that is a not the movie. I think the reason that I liked it is because she's super cute and she's also like, she's very naive 
in a way that I like not in the sense that she doesn't know what's going on politically but where she to punish him for sleeping with the ambassador his boss's wife she's like the worst thing she could think of is he has to grow a beard which was hilarious and she is so easily talked out of that by the way like he has to just suggest like nah my beard's patchy and she's like well can't throw you in prison or anything so never ever grow a beard or like exile you or any normal political punishment this movie is charming in a lot of ways like it succeeds at being charming the very first musical number is done by the main character followed by his servant doing its own weird servant version of this like song to paris as they're leaving paris followed by a dog just kind of howling and other dogs reacting to that dog singing a musical number and it's fantastic it's great there are so many moments of this movie i like but the like core through line of it irritates me so much which makes it the exact opposite of the last musical we watched which was the hollywood review which had no good or interesting moments but the idea of a musical review kept me going like, well, maybe the next number will be okay until I gave up. Okay, well, there's a subplot in this movie, though, that I love. Is it the servant's subplot? Yeah, where, like, her maid and his butler-type person... I, I don't think he's ever referred to as anything but a servant. Right, where they, like, fall in love, and they have, I think, arguably the best number in the movie which is the let's be common yeah it's great because do you know a little night music yeah the sondheim musical mm -hmm. well i mean first of all that musical has like eight subplots but the one that i find the most charming and the one that gets like not at all enough stage time is the one with the maid and like some random farmer's son or whatever and i like it when when the servants are actually as charming and smarter about love than their masters. I agree. I loved that bit. I think this movie is actually, like, as horrible as it is on gender, this movie is actually, like, weirdly really good on class. All the really good jokes in this movie are class jokes. Oh, yeah. And, like, there's tons of them. I really love... Right after the queen has her successful first date with Count Alfred, somebody asks if he is eligible to be the prince regent. And they go, oh, yes, he comes from a very distinguished family. His grandfather was the bastard son of somebody, and then somebody else was the mistress of somebody else. And someone goes, oh, I had no idea he came from such a distinguished line. And, like, it's a super duper good just joke about how dumb all these rules are. Um, and there are a lot of good jokes about how dumb all of these rules are in this movie. I think the movie is definitely bad about gender, but only in the sense of the upper class. I will say it's, it's also weirdly concentrated in the back third of the film. I think their courtship is like really charming and well drawn, actually. I was like, I think one of the reasons I hated this movie is I had like such a huge turnaround on it because for act two i like was really into it and was like all right 
And then they got married, and then the complication to their marriage was a bunch of shitty gender-reversed jokes about, like, her trying to buy his love because she's busy working. And, oh, he can't stand that he's the wife. And then the movie goes, you're right, that's untenable. He needs to be king now. And I'm like, fuck this movie. Maybe this is me, like, reading in a way more progressive idea that is actually there. But it felt to me like it was an indictment of that, of like, you have fucking everything and you're literally upset about the fact that you can't be king, your prince consort, which is like emasculating and infantilizing. But you've got, like, you have the girl, you've got the riches and you're throwing a fit and you're like, I'm going to go to Paris and get a divorce rather than live here in a fucking palace with the queen as my wife. An adorable, charming, like, 23-year-old queen. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is, like, one of those things where it's, like, literally the, like, last two minutes of the film. Because I do think that for, like, a lot of the movie, there was, like, this weird, how's the waveform gonna collapse? How am I supposed to read these scenes? Because I could read them as just, like, this guy is kind of shitty and ungrateful because you are supposed to think he's kind of shitty and ungrateful because that's how you're introduced to him. But also people outside of the relationship keep commenting on how horrible and emasculating it is to be just the prince regent and like how no man could ever survive the shame of it. And you're like, are we? who are we supposed to empathize with? And then like... Her punishment for herself for being so unreasonable is he gets to be king and lead the affairs of state now. But the last musical number is the queen is always right. Yes, but I think that's supposed to be ironic. Like, I think it's supposed to be ironic because she's right about how he needs to be in charge. That's the joke of the reversal of that scene where they meet, where she gives herself a punishment. I don't know. Again, there's a lot to like here. This is like... This fucking is not in old Arizona. Like, it is a well-made film. It's just one of those things where, like, you know what it reminds me of, kind of, is it reminds me of the end of How I Met Your Mother, where I thought I was watching one show, and then I learned in the finale I was actually watching another show, and that show was shitty, and I didn't like it at all. Right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Because, like, How I Met Your Mother is great when... It's seven or eight whatever seasons of a story about Ted, like, getting over Robin. But when it becomes a show that's seven years long about Ted never fucking getting over Robin, I was furious. And in fact, that if he just hangs on for 30 years. Right. And marries another woman and has children with her. And also definitely murders her. I don't know if oh, totally. I don't know why totally. this is not a more common read of the end of How I Met Your Mother. Ted Mosby totally murdered his wife. Yeah, like slowly 100%. poisoned her until she died of like Victorian wasting disease in yes. two thousand whatever. Yeah. But this has a very similar feeling to me of, like, there's so many scenes after that last scene that I look back on and go, like, you know what, actually, fuck that scene now that I know what that scene is trying to say. And I, and I just, like, retroactively dislike scenes that I liked when I was actually watching the movie. Like, which ones? Um, The Wedding, I think, is a big one where I, like, liked it at the time and kind of 
thought it was like this adorable character bit of like, oh boy, I can't, like, I can't commit. Commitment is hard. And like, in retrospect, I'm like, oh God, this is setting up a central conflict I'm supposed to care about. Jesus. Um, <laughs> and like, similarly, some of her naivete, I think, reads in ways I don't like anymore after the last scene. There's just stuff that I read as like, yeah, get it, girl. You shouldn't give a shit what all these, like, stuff shirt assholes fucking say. Where it's like, in retrospect, I think the movie wants you to be more on their side. Like the old guy advisor council? Yeah, I think so. Like, if you go think back on, like, everything they're saying, everything they're saying is, like, justified by the last scene in the movie. Again, like, the whole thing where they were saying, who's gonna want to be Prince Regent? Because they can't be king. And then, like, the guy that she, I guess, falls in love with? I feel like at the, by the end of the movie, they're still only in the infatuation stage. Oh, yeah, no, this definitely feels like the entire thing took place over a week, right? Yeah, yeah. I never felt like I was supposed to sympathize with him, because it was the sort of thing where it was like, he shows up, she, like does nothing to him over the fact that he, I mean, nothing really over the fact that he slept with his boss's, her ambassador's wife. And he's just so, he's just so petty and like insecure in his masculinity that he can't see how good he has it. I don't know. Maybe I am reading too much into the last scene, but the last scene just made me feel like, oh God, I'm supposed to sympathize with him. Like, the movie thinks that no man could stand just being Prince Regent, and the only reasonable way for this to end is for her to just make him king. There's the big example. is like, the last scene is a mirror of a very charming scene from, like, the beginning of the movie, from how they first meet. And because of, like, the actual message of that last scene, I am retroactively like, fuck that first scene. You should have thrown him in jail. Fuck that guy. I, at the time, thought it was adorable. I also can't tell if she's supposed to be a good queen or not. Because it kind of seems to me like she's pretty good at it. And the only thing that she's not great at, according to her advisors, is initially being like, why do you guys care if I get married? I'm running the fucking country. It also does seem like literally no one in this country does anything but wonder about if the queen's getting laid or not. The armed forces is there to make sure she's getting a good night's beauty rest. They seemingly only fire cannons because she wants to get laid to cannons. Like, there is no <laughs> part of the affairs of state that aren't about her getting some. In that case, it's like, maybe she's supposed to be kind of a shitty queen because she won't just get married? I don't know. That is, that's reading too much into the last scene. Because I think it's just like, this country is incredibly broadly and kind of poorly drawn for effect as a bit, and it's a good bit. It's a good bit that no one in the country cares about anything except whether or not she's getting married. Uh, yeah, the country of Sylvania. Yes, which I'm glad they just go ahead and do the joke of, are we putting anything in front of the Sylvania? No? All right, then. Like in the first scene of the movie. There's a, please take me to Pennsylvania, just Sylvania. All right, then, please take me to Sylvania. Joke in the first five minutes. I'm just trying to, like, figure out something right now about whether or not the end is bad. 
okay, you're really... I'm like, did I read this totally wrong? I'm reading a review from 1929 right now. And like, what did people think in 1929? What did people think in 1929? That he was like very charming in the role, but that he decides to defy her. I mean, the the New York Times review is not amazing. They called it a brilliant work, that it was deftly directed by Ernst Lubitsch. It is well directed. I can't deny that. Like, I just... The only way I think that last scene isn't city, it's, it's got that taming of the shrew problem where the only way taming of the shrew isn't shitty is if you go, well, in the last scene, she's sarcastic. She doesn't actually mean any of that. Or like the last scene is like horrifying. Like you play it up as the most terrifying thing ever. I mean, yeah, it it definitely, and I thought this at the time, it was like, this is totally a taming of the shrew retelling. Yes. Except that she wasn't a shrew. No. She was just like a woman who had the most important job in her country. Yeah. That taming of the shrewdness of the last scene is just like, I don't know. I just can't get around it. There's a lot of other stuff to recommend this movie. I just don't think there's a read of like, yeah, she was joking. The last song being like, the queen is always right. I don't know. For me, it was totally like the upper class has totally fucked up understandings of gender roles. And like, it's the common people who have a much more egalitarian exchange in love. That was what I took from it. I took the Marxist (laughs) interpretation. I mean, here's here. Here's what I will say. I think we could, like, fucking mount a production of this thing at the public theater where that's a valid (laughs) read, but I don't think that this movie is doing that read. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe I liked it for a lot of projected shit that I put onto it. I mean, also, it's just, like, the music is good. It's charming. I hate the, like, late 20s, early 30s soprano-style singing. That's that, like, super fluttery thing. But even with her sounding like Snow White in the Disney movie, it wasn't as untenable as Snow White is in the early Disney movie. Yes. Also, am I wrong for thinking about a third of the time it was a sex joke, so I was fine with it? (laughs) Like... She just had, like, really intense hummingbird vibrato because she was always on the verge of orgasm. Like, about half the time, it's like, oh, she's going into her boudoir hummingbird voice immediately. Like, (laughs) I... (laughs) It's like a vibrator. Um... I mean, I think that was just the the style for ingenue sopranos at the time. Yes, absolutely. Also, I just think, like, the timbre of her voice worked better with that really put on vibrato than Snow White, whoever that actor is. May she rest in peace for me, like dragging her ass across the goals right now. But like so many things, that's Walt Disney's fault, and not her hers. Like leave, she's she's fine. It's fine. I do take points off for that as far as like screen test of time is concerned, because that style has like not held up that's fair i think that like had we not watched the hollywood review i would be more critical of the musical numbers in this film half of them are good paris stay the same is really pretty fun let's be common is great the queen is always right is a good number and i think anything to please the queen is cute that's fair yes and then the others are like forgettable to like 
kind of bad. <laughs> and not, like, bad, like, awful bad, but, like, bad, like, I can't really make out what's being said because of the singing style and the audio quality and they don't really, like, aren't really lyrics that stick in your head kind of thing. Just like, oh yeah, that song happened kind of bad. That song happened kind of bad. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that, I could say that that happens sometimes. When the lyrics are on, they're really clever and funny, but I think sometimes the music doesn't do service to the lyrics and they're trying to get too much cleverness into a line that won't support it. Yes. Again, I think coming off of like the Hollywood review, in the Hollywood review, I was begging for the sweet release of a song that just happened. Like, please God, let a song just happen and be over. Let it not be because I'm the queen. She's the queen for like eight fucking hours. This movie definitely felt short. Oh yeah, honestly, I could have done with another 15 minutes of this movie. Like there was some stuff where it was like, oh, they're just getting married now. Just straight up getting married. All right. Which was like not even, well, I guess it was like halfway through an hour and a half long movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it even halfway? It was almost exactly half at halfway it was like 42 minutes into the film right because i checked because i was like this is a really weird time for them to be getting married like this movie isn't over in 10 minutes right that's a thing that i actually really liked about it was that even if the end kind of sucked is that it essentially set up the totally normal fairy tale progression of like there's a queen and she's kind of like unhappy or whatever and then there's a guy and they meet and it's cute and they and then they get married and live happily ever... Oh, wait, no, it's not so happily. Yeah. And not so ever after. Here's the thing is, like, the Wikipedia summary of this movie is the movie I thought it was for, like, the first hour to hour and ten minutes. And that movie is fucking great. Because, like, that movie made me think there was going to be a final musical number of just, like... I've been really dumb. I get free stuff forever with my super hot wife. Ba ba da ba 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 da. Now we tap. Like and then like <laughs> instead, the f- fucking end of this movie is her begging him, to, her agreeing she will just follow him to Paris, and him agreeing to stay around, and her agreeing to make him king. When Wikipedia specifically goes like, Lord Alfred agrees to obey the queen. And it's like, yeah, because she gave him everything he wanted. That's not really, that's not really how that works, my dude. My Wikipedia editor, dude. Agrees to obey under the circumstances in which they get whatever they want. After threatening abandonment and divorce is not really agrees to obey. Yeah. I totally agree to be in charge now. <laughs> is weird. We skipped a week? Do we have like recurring segments I'm forgetting about? Or do we just review the movie now? Should we have recurring segments? I mean, we usually just say like what we would give it out of 10. Yes. I'm not suggesting we like come up with our own munch squad or something. I'm just checking we didn't like already have one I'm forgetting about. No. Okay. So out of 10. I am going to give this movie a five because it's fine until it isn't. (laughs) And it only isn't at the very, very end. That's solid. So it's basically like a 10 and and a one 
had a baby. Not that the movie is like a straight mediocre film. It's like it's fine. It's fine. It's 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 like the opposite of La La Land. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then it falls off a cliff in the last five minutes. As opposed to spoilers for our La La Land review in 18 years or whenever we fucking get to last year's Academy Awards. La La Land, which is like, eh, um, okay, yeah, why is this movie? It's okay, this movie's great in the last, like, five minutes. Yeah, I, I, huh. What else have we watched for this year? Like, in comparison. Oh, just Disraeli. Yeah, just Disraeli. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this movie an eight. Whoa. Yeah. That may be, that may be <laughs> the highest grade we've given anything. Did we give the Broadway melody that high of a, of a number? No, I don't think that we did. And I'm going to tell you why I'm going to give it higher than the Broadway melody. Okay. It's because as a musical, it knows, even if it's doing like a, a retelling of Taming of the Shrew, which I think like, I think that there's actually some pretty subversive shit happening here, which one is that like, even if a woman is charming and delightful and like good at her job and everything else, if the man isn't in charge, then it doesn't matter what the woman is actually like, because that's really all that men want. It takes the like standard fairy tale narrative and says like, okay, but what happens in the ever after? Oh, it turns out it's not so happy after all. Though it does eventually end on happily ever after, I guess, as long as, you know, she puts her hand under his foot. Yeah. Metaphorically, not literally. She doesn't literally do that, people listening. Even the times when the music wasn't amazing, at least it wasn't the same fucking song 12 times. Yes, that's fair. Which, like, the Broadway melody is not really, like, it's not a musical. It's a movie about people who work in musical theater, but it's not really a musical, structurally. Yeah, it's like a behind-the-scenes thing about a Broadway review where, weirdly, you just get the same number over and over again and then, like, one extra song in act two. And also, I just loved Jeanette McDonald. She's great. She is... I think she's actually cuter and more charming than Clara Bow, which is, like, really pushing it. I would agree with that in the Clara Bow, one Clara Bow movie we have seen. Which is also the one Clara Bow movie I have ever seen, so my, my like, basis for comparison is pretty slim. I know too many things about who my grandfather had crushes on when he was a young man, and one of them is Clara Bow, and that's because I've seen several Clara Bow movies from my childhood... He liked that when it would come on Turner Classic Movies. When you say your grandfather, are we talking about Daddy Tom the Cowboy Lawyer? Daddy Tom the Cowboy Lawyer, yes. Because that totally fits with my mental image of your grandfather, is that he had a huge crush on Clara Bow. That all works out pretty well. Uh, yes. So next week. Yeah, next week is All Quiet on the Western Front, I think. Yeah, which I am so excited about. I am too. I'm honestly, everything we've got left for this year looks at least potentially quite good. Although that poster for the divorcee is is dangerously cool looking. That really makes me worry that it's a shitty film after in old Arizona. Yeah. (laughs) But All Quiet on the Western Front looks great. The Big House looks like it's actually going to kind of confront some, at least some realities of prison being... Not a great 
place. Right. Yeah. But all quiet on the Western Front. And the divorcees got Conrad Nagel again. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm a fan of that guy. Yeah. Conrad Nagel and Chester Morris. I'm definitely a fan of Conrad Nagel. Yeah, all quiet on the Western Front, though, I'm excited about because, like, it's almost certainly, unless they totally screw up the book, going to be the first time that there's like a very serious drama that we've watched yes i mean that just becomes the standard for oscar nominated movie for the rest of recorded time god i'm just imagining the like 1930 all quiet on the western front like putting in the like wacky taxi drivers driver subplot from seventh heaven (laughs) just like let's lighten the mood in act two you guys Uh, And also I'm excited to see a movie that like may actually, you know, talk about the fact that World War One was like not a jam. (laughs) Yeah, that it like was not a super great place to be or good idea. So hopefully that will happen. Though, God, at an hour and 52 minutes of a bummer, that is by far the longest movie we will have watched for the screen test of time. That's, that's true. So, so ho- here's hoping it's good. Agreed. Yeah, join us next time for All Quiet on the Western Front. Until then, this was definitely a movie. <laughs> oh, wait. And also, I'm Susan. Oh, and I'm... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. We'll, we'll... Our intro... We need to have... We need to have intro music that establishes who we are because we never remember to introduce ourselves. I I almost always remember. This was the first time. So yes, for the screen test of time, this has been Susan Raslin. And I'm David Daw. And I don't think we remembered to do that until the end last week either. But this sure was a movie. (laughs) Bye. This definitely was a film. Bye. (laughs) I'm totally leaving that in. <laughs>